0: All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions and Mark Allred Jr. You're here with co-host,
1: father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing this fine, Friday? Doing great. This is episode 72, Andrew. we got a special guest. Uh, We've had him booked for a while, and I'm glad we're finally uh, doing this. So run us through our special guest today, Andrew. Yeah, so today we're excited to have with us former pro player Ryan Schnell. So Ryan uh, started playing competitive
0: hockey all throughout his teenage years. Developed early on with the U.S. National Development Team, the U17, U18, team from 2005 to 2007, then later suited up for the Chicago Steel of USHL for a few seasons, and then later a brief stint with the Saginaw Spirit of the OHL. Following his junior hockey days, he went on to sign his first pro contract in the ECHL with the Wheeling Nailers, and then the following year, he eventually called it to the American Hockey League. And from 2010 until 2015, split his time between various teams between the ECHL in AHL before officially retiring from playing hockey in 2015. He's a real tough guy, real tough fun guy. guy to hopefully talk to you today. So we're excited to have with us Ryan Schnell. Ryan, how you doing today, man? Great, guys. Thanks for having me on. So we want to start back, uh, obviously, at the during your days with the U.S. Uh, national development team. Nowadays, a lot of players are getting noticed and drafted um, from playing on that team, especially the U.A. 18 team and everything else. So what was like your time back with that development team, especially this was back in what, 2004, 2005 ish area. So this was a while ago. So what was, what was it like then?
2: Yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, So I first had them on my radar as a program. I wanted to be um, involved with while I was going through the, uh, the years of playing triple A hockey in Chicago with team Illinois. And I actually, first kind of caught one of the program just through doing uh, a summer camp that was there. So I can't recall exactly how we got um, involved with it from the start, but I just do remember being in Ann Arbor and did a camp that was there. And they may have even done like a tour for the facility after the camp was done. And, you know, at, at that age, how, you know, however old I was, I'm not a math guy, but around 2014 was, 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that. But anyways, yeah, just amazed with the facility, with the gym, the locker room, um, the medical area and therapy rooms. They have everything. It's an NHL built out facility. So at that age, you know, eyes kind of light up and think, wow, it would be amazing to be here. So I, I, I do remember kind of making it my goal at that time that that's where I wanted to be and knew, you know, at that time, they had so many guys go through the program already that were on their way to be Hall of Fame NHLers and you know premium premium players that moved on to play D one D three, and um, yeah, that's where I wanted to be, and I focused on doing anything I could to get there, and ended up you know spending two years there, and it's um, it it was it was a lot of different things once I got there. You know, you go in and you are so focused on um, so many different things, right? You're moving from your family, you're doing classes at a high school. You've never been to meeting people that you've never been around um, really ever before different coaching staff. So everything's brand new, you know, and then you're also going there as, well, I'm the best person from Chicago. I'm the best defenseman from Boston. I'm the best goalie from Texas, whatever. So everyone's, you know, the best player from their team, And you kind of realize like, well, I'm not the top line. I'm not the top D pairing. I'm not the starting goalie. So um, you face a lot of adversity and I definitely faced a lot of adversity while I was there, but that's part of the program. And that's why, um, you know, it's, it's either it's sink or swim.
1: If you had to pick one or two uh, big items concerning development, uh, what would they be that you got out of that one or two big development things that changed your game?
2: While at the program? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yes. At that time, I'd probably say the skating number one. I mean, I'm, I'm six, three nowadays. I'm like, you know, two, twelve, two hundred fifteen 215 pounds. And I was that size when I was like 12 years old. So, <laughs> um, I, I had the advantage early on of everyone that was still growing and hadn't hit their growth spurt quite yet that I was already at that size. So, um, you know, you look at my stats, I definitely didn't win any scoring titles ever, and I wasn't there to win a scoring title. So I was kind of able to, uh, you know, physically dominate over others and, the skating, I mean, I just was not a great skater. It was never a secret. I never was. I knew I wasn't great, but I knew I had to get better at that. So, you know, they definitely spend a lot of one-on-one time with you on and off the ice, a lot of video, a lot of time in the weight room to get your body where it needs to be so that you can be better, um, with your skating or with your hand-eye coordination, or just with your muscle recovery. There, there's so many different things that you don't think, you need to work on to improve. So the skating was definitely the first for me and um j- just the speed. I mean, you again, you come from the team the year before where you're typically the top player or one of the top players and it's like anything else with sports and with hockey the next level you get to there's a different speed. There's a different cadence to the game and you have to make that adjustment. And some people thrive at that. Some people are late bloomers and some just never get over the hump. Um, I struggled with it. So I think the skating and then that, you know, segues into the speed of the game. Those are the two things that, um, you really have to, for me, I had to get used to and, um, the program helped. I mean, that's the first time I ever did like, um, the big plastic, like sliding boards, there's a probably a different term for him, I think, but yeah, um, yeah you had to master that um, in the weight room with Daryl Nelson and the uh, skating coach at the time, but they have every single resource that you need. And, you know, looking back at it years later, you realize, you know, your, your destiny was kind of in your, your own hands. So that's why I think for, um, you know, anyone that's listening or knows about the program, you go there with, you know, the mindset that you're, the top person and you are but when you leave you may not be um the top person on that team but all that matters is that you can figure out all right here is what i'm great at here's what i'm not so great at and am i going to use all the tools and resources behind me so you can it, you get thrown into the blender it's only two years and it, it really is sink or swim
0: Yeah, and so, you know, as a teenager, too, I can't imagine how difficult it must be. You know, you decided to eventually kind of go that that junior route um, after the U.S. national development team. You did uh, parts of two seasons in the USHL uh, with the Chicago uh, Steel, if I'm I'm not mistaken. And then eventually, but during that last – that second season with them, you ended up in the Ontario Hockey League with Saginaw, I I would assume the final 23 games, and then you went on to turn pro – what was the story there? And as a young man, that's just trying to, you know, you're a teenager figuring out your life. It was difficult moving back and forth to all these different teams and billet houses. And, yep. and what was the experience, you know, having to switch from USHL to the OHL? Yeah. Um,
2: I definitely wasn't trying to say I played in every junior league by <laughs> 20. I know it, it kind of looks that way on, on the hockey DB, but um, no, to be really transparent at that time with where my young hockey career was and just what was going on off the ice with, with my life. And personally, Um, I mean, hockey was all I had. That was really, I, I didn't have a plan B. I think a lot of players at that time, like you put all your chips in, like there really isn't a plan B. I mean, yeah, you can have the hopes of turning pro and going to college, but that's not a guarantee. And if you get there, maybe it's a little bit of a security, like, all right, well, I signed a contract or I signed a scholarship deal and whatever. But um, yeah, at that time, I really still wanted to play college hockey. I wanted to get a scholarship. I actually turned down a full ride to Michigan Tech. So after my first year to go back a little bit, my first year with the program in Ann Arbor, I don't know. I think it was right before the end of the year. Uh, or that summer but I did a couple visits to Michigan Tech and my head coach Ron Rolston went to Michigan Tech so I was able to bend his ear a little bit about his experience there and everything but um, yeah I did a couple of visits there and it just came down to that location and um, not wanting to live where they were for four years so it just wasn't a match but They were in a great conference, playing great teams at that time as a WCHA. So I thought, you know, I'm going to bet on myself. That's not, I'm not just going to take it because it's there. I want to take where I want to go. Um, I visited the University of Vermont. That didn't work out. And um, I knew I had to keep playing, keep developing. So I was comfortable to go back to Chicago. Um, I think my career at that point started to take a little bit of a different shape just playing under Steve Pops and um, some of the players on that team. I mean, Andrew Miller played on that team. We had an awesome group. Um, Max McCastro, um, Rob Mador was a top goalie. Uh, who else? Um, Danny Otto, Andy Mealy was on that team. Um, just a lot of great players, but, During that season, uh, the second season I came back, I kind of knew, you know, you're you're always on the clock in your hockey career at some some point um, every year. It's a little different. But at that point, I knew, all right, if I'm not going to get a scholarship, like, well, what are my other options? Because I don't want to just throw in the towel. So it also became clear to me during those years that, you know, dropping the gloves and sticking up for my teammates and, you know, using my strengths, which is obviously physically – something I could really um, use to make a name for myself, and I did. So that caught the eyes of um, people in the Ontario Hockey League and definitely Saginaw. So they just were very, very consistent in trying to have me join their group and join and play in the OHL. So I came to the conclusion that the type of player I was, how my season was going, what my future looks like, what my options are, that – I should have gone to the OHL to begin with, probably. Um, and I remember still to this day, vividly walking in. Um, so there's a super long hallway in the locker room at uh, the Chicago Steel. It used to be the Hawks old practice rink uh, and facility. So I remember walking into the office. I'm just like, I just need to, you know, talk to Popper and Weibel, and the assistant coach. Just shoot him straight. Like, is there anything on the table for me? Is there any... Co- is any school calling and i know at the time pops and weibel had desks across from each other and they were just both looking at each other and they're kind of like uh weibel was anyone calling about schneller or anything and you know that the short answer was no and they shoot me straight and they both basically said you know at different times directly and indirectly like you should definitely go to the to the group in Saginaw. So I kind of had my mind made up before then, but I think I needed their validation and um, no signal from them to say, that's, that's definitely the best move for you. So, and it was, I mean, I went to Saginaw played, would you say like 23, 24, 25 games fit right in. I knew guys on that team. It was not far from Chicago. I got to live still in Michigan, which obviously familiar with. So yeah, it was perfect. The stars kind of aligned for me there. And I really realized after a couple of games and going through the playoffs, like I should have, you know, it's easy to look back and say, I, I should have sure. done that, should have done that. But I think the program served its purpose, but I think, you know, being the player that I was, that I became the OHL was better suited. Um, for my game and um so yeah i know that's a super long answer to a short question but um, yeah it really just came down to wanting to you know keep keep the dream alive right so
1: so you keep the dream alive so bring us through the story of your first pro contract with the east coast league echl how did that come about and uh and and how did you feel i mean Uh, I mean, it's a big deal when you turn pro and you sign a contract and the team wants you and this is what you're going to do for a living. Bring us through the whole story of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it really kicked in the gear. I I, I tell myself this is the reason why and who really knows, but um, I knew I made a name for myself and I knew I had to make a name for myself going into the OHL just in terms of how I had to play um, how physical I needed to be the guys I needed to challenge and, um, and fight and all that kind of stuff. So I had a fight against Lee Salters at home. I want to say it was game two or game three of our playoff round with them. And uh, it was the longest fight ever. It was like two and a half minutes or something crazy. But um, it was off the opening face-off. And I, I don't know. I think I had like 12 fights in 25 games or something like that. But point being, um, that was a fight that stood out to you know a lot of people on my team, to me, and kind of I think people caught wind of it. And that was towards the end of the year. So not long after the playoff round was done and doing exit interviews, um, Todd Watson, the coach at the time, said, "Hey, like Pittsburgh's really got interest in you, and some of their scouts have been calling me about you and watching all that good stuff. So, um, you may be doing something with them here soon." I didn't really know what that meant, but long story short, ended up getting invited to their rookie camp that um, that next early fall, and um, I thought, "Wow!" Like, which rookie I'm- camp is this? this is the uh rookie tournament that they would do toronto, i think they still do right? it um my my brain is uh sometimes not the best with memory but it
0: because i was about to say you, you you were in that one uh toronto rookie tournament i think it was 2000 he yeah. had
1: like three fights
0: in that tournament. yeah i fought that's, <laughs> that's why
1: he doesn't remember it yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah.
2: In that <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, that's where it started, and it was just nothing more than just the invite. And I remember I got um, the PTO. I th- maybe it wasn't a PTO, but I had to sign something to attend, whatever. So I thought, like, like this is it. This is this is so cool. And um, and it was. It was awesome. I, I didn't think that would happen after playing a quarter of a season in the OHL. So yeah, I went to the rookie camp um and it was awesome and pittsburgh is a first class organization and um but i went through the camp did really well but yeah there's like four or five games and and i knew exactly what i had to do when i went there and but you're basically you know at that time you're playing guys that are one or two years three years into the hl maybe they got a little bit of a cup of coffee in in the nhl and there's a lot of junior guys college guys so it's like an elevated level of junior hockey in a way, but also pro if that makes sense. But yep. point being was, um, yeah, I thought I shined during that tournament. And they called like the next day or my agent called me and said, like, they want to bring you in and hopefully have you join with their club in Wilkesbury. And at the time I'm thinking, well, like, is that real? Like,
1: right. how is yeah. that
0: possible?
2: Like, I, it, it doesn't make sense. Like a couple of years ago, I thought, you know I turned down a college scholarship that was done I'm playing the USHL now I'm going to the OHL like you kind of think well this isn't really realistic but all right yeah so yeah. I had the decision to make of do I go back to Saginaw or do I sign this deal and just see what happens so I talked to my agent I talked to a couple of their teammates um at the time I was living and I was close friends with Nello Ferrara. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with his name, but definitely a guy you should talk to. But, um, I was really close with Nello and he was, he was my big brother. Um, would skate with him in the summer and train with him as well. But, uh, he's like, you you should do it. You should definitely sign because, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You can go back and maybe you can get a better deal. Maybe, you know, I couldn't get drafted again, but you know, Maybe you get another team interested. Maybe you get a better deal, but maybe you blow your knee, and then what? So, um, my gut told me to sign the uh, the American League deal for a year, and I knew I would start in Wheeling, but um, I still went through Wilk'sbury's camp. So it was a long, it was a long September, long October, and um, yeah, that's how it came about. It was really just going through the rest of the season with Saginaw, um, making a name for myself. And, um, but yeah, I I always tell myself, I think that fight helped put me on the map a little bit and open some people's eyes that,
0: um, you know, I could, I could handle myself and
2: yeah, it kind of went from there.
0: So I'm always curious, you know, with those rookie tournaments, especially back in the day, you know, where fighting was definitely more prevalent in the league. Um, but what is the intensity like? I mean, is it? I know you said it was a more intense OHL um, type feel to the, the game, but was it almost like a playoff feel? where there's some guys, I know maybe some of the yeah. higher and prospects, maybe not wanting to get hurt. Cause I imagine maybe some of those first second round picks they are probably not wanting well, to yeah.
1: fight yeah. and their agents saying, take right. it easy, but don't take it too easy. But then you
0: guys have like Ryan Schnell who's fighting for a spot. So I'm just curious what that was like, if there was how competitive it was, I imagine it was, but I'm just very curious of something like that. Super competitive. Yeah. Um, I
2: can't, I was never, a skill guy who had the luxury to say, maybe I take it a little bit easy and I don't know if those guys did, but it's super competitive. It's super intense because at that level, you realize at least I started to realize more. I think most guys do is that like everyone's replaced. I mean, you're always replaceable, but you do realize, all right, like now I'm, I'm on this roster for this weekend, or I already have a contract, but you are fighting for someone's job, whether that's literally what I was, Actually trying to do, or you're trying to be a top choice on the power play unit. You're trying to show that you are a strong face-off player and you can kill penalties, but you can also be reliable in the D-zone and you're a versatile player. So no matter what your strengths are, you have to always play to those. And whether you have a entry-level contract signed or you're trying to get noticed, or whatever the case is, you're just there because whatever. Um, there, there's that intensity for everybody and that competitiveness. So, yeah, for me, I had that playoff feel. I think the first tournament I did was in Kitchener mm-hmm. and then the second year, the year later was in London and I think all the games are sold out. Um, oh, I wow. mean, yeah. So, I mean, there's really nothing else going on at that time. Um, I mean, the season gets going, people are excited, you know, um, I mean, hockey in Canada is the biggest thing, right? So there's no uh there's no reason for people not to show up to watch, you know, stars of of the future. So yeah, it had that playoff field, but for me it was like it's a golden opportunity, right? I didn't think I'd be there. Um, but yeah, I think for everyone, they realize like that's kind of the starting point of getting your career going and making a name for yourself with whatever team you're with, whether it's Pittsburgh or I know Toronto was there, Boston. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, um, it's just that moment where, you know, that's kind of the beginning of your pro career or you're asked to go back a year or two after playing and they want to see, you know, is this guy a leadership person? Is he going to make guys comfortable? Is he going to welcome people to the team for the next week and a half or two weeks is um, you know, how is he going to play back-to-back games now? Is he going to use his experience? Is he slacking off? Even though last year in the American League, he, you know, he didn't dip. So it it's it's really no different than the regular season. You're always being watched and graded and um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's super competitive and it, it goes by fast. I mean, you play four or five games in I don't know a week or something. Oh,
0: yeah. Wow, jeez. So I want to fast forward then to your first pro year in the ECHL. Yeah, you wasted no time. You knew what your job was. I believe it was uh, HockeyFights.com said 15 fights. That was your fight card that year. One of the names I saw that I continue to see year after year, though, um, Ryan, was you fought Brett Gallant a lot, or Gallant, however however you want to pronounce that. Yeah, he's one of the toughest guys to have laced him up ever, especially in the AHL. What was that like? And did that ever get old, having to fight him over and over
1: again? No. Were like, no. Um,
0: Every fight was different. Um, you did well, too, with him, by the way. Yeah. You watch those fights. Ryan always held his own. He, yeah. he got
2: him. Yeah. Um, I had no idea who Brett Gallant was, and that's not to say, like, anything bad, but I just – I I'd never heard of him. I mean, he came out of, I think, the queue. I think he's from Summerside. And um, the first time I fought him, we just lined up – I think it was a game, like an afternoon game where all those – people come from school and um all the kids come and it's that type of game and it was early in the day and we just i had i really just didn't know anyone in the league at that time i just wasn't paying attention to that as much as um i maybe should have but i really didn't know anything about him and he just asked if he wanted to uh to to have a go at the opening draw i was like yeah and um like 15 seconds later i'm like holy shit like all right i I, i'm in one now because he's not um i mean he's six foot six one 180 185 some pounds so he's not you know the biggest guy on the ice but after that fight i never forgot his name after that um Mm -hmm. and a couple guys i played with on the team alex grant joey haddad um and some other guys that are from that area nova scotia and played in the queue i mean i remember talking to him after the game i'm like and I, I've never been hit that hard. Like who is Brett Gallant? So um, he was in Elmira. We played each other at what felt like every other weekend um, at a tough place to play too. But Brett Gallant, I think is uh, he's definitely the last of a dying breed. He is definitely the toughest guy I ever fought. And that doesn't mean that not just that he would hit the hardest literally, but he had zero fear. And the fact that he could hit so hard that every time I fought him, I think I fought him six or seven times. Every time I fought him, he hit me and my bell was wrong every time I saw black every single time. So um, he was just that powerful and pound for pound, the toughest guy I ever fought, but no fear would fight. Anybody didn't say much, didn't have to say much um i think i've maybe crossed paths with him off the ice once or twice like passing through the hallways and um we always had respect for each other i mean we we came up through the same time kind of had a similar career had to make a name for ourselves in the east coast hockey league but um yeah there it, it was never the same fight i mean i fought him you know you're always kind of banged up after fights whether it's a broken nose, whether your shoulder popped out, whether you're cuts on your hands, like you're never always a hundred percent. I mean, maybe a few times you are, but there was one time in Wheeling, I fought him and um, I can't remember how the fight developed, but I knew that that game I'm like, I really, I know it's going to happen, but I'm hoping tonight, like we're just not on the ice at the same time. Cause for some reason I remember my wrist was in, was in bad shape, but um, yeah, just something, I think he kind of brought the best out of me because I knew after fighting him the first time and playing against him for a while that like this, like he, he is the guy. So if I can go toe to toe with him and answer the bell when I need to, um, that it, it's going to be a good thing if I can hold my own and, um, get a couple W's on my side as well. So, but to the story there was that, um, I really didn't want to fight him cause my wrist was bugging me, but I did anyway. Um, and he's done the same thing. I think we had to fight in Bridgeport where, um, his wrist or his hand or something was banged up and um, but that's just what happens. I mean um, super competitive guy and um, yeah, I, I haven't seen him, you know, obviously since playing and, but I still follow, you know, some of those guys that are in the league and I know he won a championship in, in Cleveland, but yeah, I think he was born, you know, a couple years too late, but if he was, you know, <laughs> born a few years earlier, I mean, no doubt he'd be. um in the top of the class, you know, in the NHL, yeah, I know yeah. he had a couple of games and he, he made a name for himself there, but it's not surprising. So yeah, he's, he's easily the toughest guy I ever fought. Um, but yeah, he, he rang my bell every single time, but um, for some reason, I wanted to uh, to keep squaring off against yeah. him.
1: <laughs> here's another, here's another old school guy that, uh, that, that we know Cody Bass, you had a yeah. uh, him towards the end.
0: Kicked his ass too. One of the last ones
1: that well but but that right you hand know, ryan you know we're the fans sitting in the stands drinking a beer and eating a hot dog getting fat right Yeah. so yeah. we always thought before we started the podcast it was always be about it's winning or losing a fight but then when we talk to all the players that actually do the fighting it's you'd want to win but it's more about like you said it's about showing up right. and it's about going toe to toe and even if you end up getting knocked out um, it really doesn't matter because you stepped up where a lot of players wouldn't is that how when you played that's the way the enforcer guys thought or was it different yeah i mean you don't want to get embarrassed right like right right um
2: you don't want to get hurt i mean yeah it's um it it um it's something yeah you don't want to get embarrassed you don't want to look like you're hiding an injury or you're you're not engaged in it anymore and um but yeah i mean you want you want to obviously win the fight but it, it just all kind of depends like there i guess there's no like blanket answer for you but yeah like fighting cody i think that was just like hey you want to go right like there's no backstory there's no feud there's no whatever i mean sometimes it just happens where. Both guys have a reason to engage, just maybe because it's the fact that they both, you know, want to have a fight that night. And that's just kind of the reality of it. But and that's I think why you see less and less fights that are, you know, they seem like they fall out of the sky almost, right? So, um, and that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong or it's a wasteful fight. There's always meaning to it. But yeah, there's those cases or there's cases where you know you really do need to um grab a hold of somebody to answer for a hit or a slash or whatever the case is and um but yeah you you always want to show up and if you're challenged you want to answer that challenge but the one thing I learned that I think I had a hard time learning early on playing and going through um wheeling in wilkes was just the timing of the fights right so you know are you picking your spot are you being smart about it did you um you know like there are so many times where someone would cheap shot me or there'd be a scrum in the net and I'm just seeing red and I black out and go into, you know, psycho mode, but it's like, Hey man, like we have a power play now. Like you didn't need to face wash that guy or cross check him Cause now it's even, and you know, there are times where I didn't recognize that um, and I, I should have. So there's kind of that learning curve to it where you, you know, you're, I'm a tool to the team, right? I'm not a tool that's going to be used to put the puck in the net every single night. Um, I'm there to help shift momentum, um, make the rest of the guys play bigger and feel bigger on the ice, um, and do what I do. But part of that too, is learning, you know, when to use, um, fighting or being physical or intimidating guys the right way and the right time. So yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of different things that, that go into it. Yeah. You definitely want to win. You definitely, I don't think anyone goes into fight wanting to lose. Um, you definitely sometimes aren't like hundred percent engaged, um, every single fight for different reasons. But, you know, um, I think a lot of guys would say like, once your gloves are off, or once you know that you're, you're about to begin one, you, you can't hear anything. Um, if you do, you're, you're being you can hear something, but it's definitely nothing, but kind of yourself talking to yourself, getting ready to, to go to battle. But yeah, everything else kind of zones out and, um, you definitely, definitely don't want to get hurt. But, um, I think if you fight guys that would fight or if I thought I would go into a fight being feared, like that's, that's where you can get into trouble. Like, you know, it's okay to be, you know, I was scared of guys, right? Like I was intimidated or guys I fought, like I fought, um, Joel Recklage who's a monster and you know was I uh I wasn't scared to fight him but you know I had a little bit uh of hesitancy there but I think that's good I think you know anyone has that at some point no one's going not every guy is going into a fight where there's um there's there's no fear or something there but um yeah there's um there's uh a lot of fights I can recall so there's a lot of different stories I could share if you guys want.
0: So I want to bring up fight strategy a little bit. Cause when I was watching some of your fights and one of the things I noticed, like you had just mentioned uh, reckless who uh, is known for throwing that left hand southpaw, can throw both. But one of the other ones that you fought, uh, you did pretty well against, but I want to ask fight strategy and two, it's kind of a two part question, but you fought Jay Rose Hill, who if yep. everybody remembers Jay Rose Hill. He was Toronto and flyers, tough guy, made a, had a cup of coffee with those teams, but, uh, when you're fighting a southpaw, I always notice the righties, they they end up, it's like a disadvantage for them. And, and it's like watching Luke Shen fight um, on Vancouver every time, you know, those guys are desperately holding on to that left arm. If they just get that left hand free, it's over. So two part question, how did you prepare to fight southpaws if you did it all? And what obviously was your mentality as you're kind of speaking about we've had on plenty of, you know, quote unquote enforcers and stuff on here before Bobby Robbins and stuff. And one of the things he said was, you know, before I'd go out there, I'd tell myself, you know, this guy's trying oh, to right. hurt my yeah. family or something. So he wants to go yeah. you know, fall in psycho right. mode because flip the switch, right? Cause you have Ryan's a nice guy, you know, you wouldn't think that you'd try and, you know, beat up somebody, you know, in a fight. <laughs> so what, what kind of mindset do you build? And then do you have a strategy when going against a, a, a Southpaw?
2: Yeah. Um, Going into Southpaw. Yeah, I think Reckless may have been the first. I mean, guys are sometimes switching hands throughout a fight. Um every every now and then. So, but yeah, he like distinctively, you know, okay, Wrecker throws left. Um I at that time, like I just watched a lot of video and I'd see what what do other guys do. Um, I did a lot of stuff after practice with guys on the team to work on my feet, work on turning my hips, you know, obviously throwing lefty, um, starting out, you know, grabbing and getting situated at the beginning of the fight, how to go about that and approach the person approach who I was fighting. Uh, but the video helped a lot. I mean, just study what guys are used to, how they like to grab, how they like to start. Do they switch? When do they switch? Uh, does it look like they're trying to get the other guy they're fighting in a certain position, so, yeah, they're like the whole, you know, science lab goes, um, goes behind it and you try to dissect it. So I did that. I watch a lot of fights um, like every other day, if not every day. Um, I'd watch the same fights all over to just try to learn it and study it because, you know, at some point, you know, you're probably going to cross that guy's path. So if there's any advantage, you want to have it. Um, my approach would be like with Wrecker. I know in that fight, It was a long square off and I knew that he's just going to let it fly. Like I can't control his left arm to where it's unusable. So uh, I either go in lefty as well, or I just say, fuck it. Like I'm just going to go toe to toe and it's you're right. You're, you're open with each other. So Uh his left is coming and my right there, you're meeting at the same side of each other. So I mean, yeah, you say a prayer, you put your head down and, um, just keep wailing away. I mean, you, um, or you can go lefty and try to play that route. And I, and I've done that too, but yeah, after fighting him, um, uh, Rose Hill was a, was a left-hander too. Um, he's just super fast, um, with just the amount of punches he throws and, uh, who else was a lefty, uh, Eric Nielsen was a big time lefty. So, um, yeah, I would try to switch up to go lefty when they would switch in the middle of the fight. Um, try to time out their punches so that, you know, you're obviously not being hit. Um, if I'm not switched up with them where you're kind of vulnerable and that space is open on the same side. So yeah, there, there's kind of ways to get around it or have an advantage, but I mean, for me at the end of the day, yeah. Like I kind of go into your other question there. Um, yeah, I would just approach it. I would kind of play out the fight before the game, you know, whether it's during pregame meal, um, on the way to the rink or getting dressed in the room or, you know, whatever, I would try not to overthink it, but I am an overthinker so that that would never work out. But yeah, I would try to, like, I like to manifest things and visualize a lot. So I would literally visualize, all right, if I'm playing Cody Bass tonight, if I fight him, how might this go? Or what type of approach do I want to take? If I have to, you know, square off with Nielsen, how do I want to start? What would be most advantage way for me to have that happen? So, um, yeah, definitely would overthink it, but I would just try to envision how I would want the fight to go, and a lot of times it would go that way. Or sometimes you get hit in the face,
1: and <laughs> what I thought yeah. what I thought would take place definitely didn't happen.
0: Um, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs>
1: yeah, so let me uh, switch gears here a little bit. So, Ryan, you you mostly spent your time in the AHL, but you had a a few stints in the East Coast League. And for our Tulsa fans, and also a Rapid City, because we've had on both the uh, head coach and assistant coach at Rapid City. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the East Coast League? So, you're one of the AHL guys. And if you're coming down to the East Coast League, you're not spending a long time. And it it always seems to be that the locker room can be not divided, but it can be a weird locker room where you have guys that are either from the NHL or AHL coming down, doing a stint in the East Coast League. They know you're not going to stay long, you know, and these East Coast guys are on East Coast contracts. I think you know where I'm going with this. How yeah. how does that work in a locker room where it's not really – I don't want to say fair. That's the wrong thing to say. But yeah,
2: yeah th- everyone, everyone's there for a different
1: reason. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I um, – you know, seeing – I mean, and that's why, you know, you have a different team for the most part winning – championship in the east coast hockey league every year it's never a two-peat or a three-peat or you know yeah you have some teams who are always well built they their playoff contenders every year and same thing with the american hockey league that just comes down to how the organization is run and how they draft and how they sign like all that taken into account but yeah it the echl is yeah to your point yeah you got people that are there that are just playing because some of them have nothing better to do some of them need the money. Some of them want to get the hell out of there and don't think they want to be there. And they're, you know, pouting. I mean, that's, that's normal to see people uh, or, or guys go through. There's guys that, um, you know, have no choice, but, but to be there or there, there's so many reasons, right? So yeah, it's hard to have a consistent week to week, month to month, full season of, everyone is in harmony because you're not right. Like guys are there that love being there. And for them, that's like the Holy grail. And that's great. There's other guys like, I know when I was in Wheeling, um, you know, that is not a fun place to live. So not only do you want to get the hell out of town, but like, I don't want to, I didn't, you know, sign this contract to play in the East coast hockey with you. When you realize like, all right, well, you got to find a way to get out. So that's on you. But yeah, you don't want to be, um, I don't want to be at that level for good. You have some guys that don't care. You have some guys that, you know, everyone else is there for a different reason. So that's hard. It's hard to have a team where everyone's humming along, um, and pulling in the right direction because it's kind of, it's kind of like a landing spot and a launch point. right? Right. So, um, and AHL is kind of like that too, but it's different. And, um, so it's hard. I mean, you know, some guys are there for the full season. Some guys are there for literally a day. Some guys are there for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, up and down, up and down. Um, so yeah, it's hard to find a groove. I imagine it's extremely difficult to coach at that level and piece together a team. And then, plus you have injuries, you have call-ups, you have, you know, um, everything else in between. So. Um,
1: have, you, uh, have you ever taken um, an, a straight East coast guy yeah. that might be on a PTO to the AHL. Have you ever taken one of them under, under your wing? uh, Just to, you know, I mean, that's a big deal for the some of those East coast guys to get called up, even if it's for a game. Uh, Have you ever taken any of them? It's kind of like, Hey, welcome to the, to the AHL. It's a different league. uh, A lot of, you know, a lot of highly skilled players. Um, What was your experience with some of those guys just being called up for a few games? Yeah. um, They must've thought they hit the lottery.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I didn't consider myself an AHL regular until probably my second season with St. John's. I mean, I, you know, I was up and down for the first three, four years, and then felt I found a home with St. John's, and then going to Rockford, which ended up being my last year. So it really wasn't until Rockford, um, where I think they're affiliated with the Indy Fuel at the time, and there were some guys that were called up and down that either it's their first year or they were kind of where they're in the spot where I was a couple of years ago. Um, and they're going up and down and it's, yeah, I mean, as you get older, right. It's easier to read, um, with hockey, read the room and read the players and kind of understand, um, guys' behavior or their mindsets. And towards the end of the year with the ice hogs going into playoffs, um, I was, I don't know if I'd say I was mentoring the guys that I was with, but yeah, um, definitely trying to keep them positive and motivated to let them know that like, there is a purpose to why you are here. It's not just because, you know, you're, you know, fun to talk to, you have a great personality and you can, you know, um, tell a good story. Like you are there for a reason and people are making the decision for, for you to be there. Um, and I didn't, probably realize that till a couple of years after playing, but um, yeah, you kind of, you know, there's no one in particular that sticks out to me, but yeah, I do recall trying to be um, optimistic and show value to the players that were either just starting their career with um, me and Rockford and they were in Indian coming up or just signing on and joining the playoff run and skating um, in the practices or being part of the black ace group or whatever um, like there is value for them. So I just try to say like, Hey, like I've seen crazy shit. You never know. Like you may get into a game. So um, yeah, it, it, it really just comes down to leading by example. So if they like, they only are going to follow those that are ahead of them and um have gone through that experience before and have more of a pedigree in their career. Right. So if I'm going to half-ass it and willy nilly it in practice and they see I'm not playing, well, what kind of example is that? Right. And if I'm going to do that. Well, why am I going to be there as well? Like if I'm not playing, I, I only bring so much value and it's not on the ice during a game in the playoffs. So why, why am I here anyway? Right. So, um, And then you realize, well, I'm there for the reason to to help them. So, yeah, you want to help in any way you can, but that was kind of the extent of it. I really didn't play long enough. You know, if I was still playing now and I had years and years, it may be a little bit of a different story, but at that time, it was
1: only my sixth year. We're going to ask some lightning round questions. and this uh, You don't have to answer quickly or you can, meaning like you could just say a name, a place, But if there's a story, feel free. Uh, And and sometimes when we do this, we get the most out of our guests by just doing the lightning. Right. So I'll start. Okay. who was the who was the defenseman out of any league that you played in? That was the strongest guy, meaning the guy that you had trouble moving in front of the net, that he was just a rock. And you're a physical guy. Um.
2: I don't know about toughest to move, but Patrick Weller on Hershey was a huge individual. I hated playing against him because he was so big. He was really strong. Um, fought him a few times, but yeah, he he sucked to play against.
1: <laughs> was it was it uh him standing his ground or was him yeah, he's just huge. I mean, he's like six five,
2: yeah. six okay. five. Yeah. <laughs> huge shoulders. I mean he's he's a moose. I don't know how much he weighs. He may he was way bigger than me. Um and he was mean. And um but yeah he I mean he's a guy that played to his strengths and he was he was tough whether in the corner in front of the net but yeah Patrick Weather was uh he was a good defenseman but we had some so good is it, as,
0: as a tough guy in the league uh what was the most common injuries you suffered was the shoulder the hand what was the most common from just playing or actual fights? actual fights um I hear about the shoulder a lot you don't really think about the shoulder too much you know all those missed punches yeah things. I was
2: lucky the shoulder I don't think I ever had actual issues with with fighting um I don't know, just the hands I got one weird uh I saw a scar I had one injury that I, I wouldn't call it an injury, but put me out for like three weeks. So I fought, um, I think I was in Toronto. I fought someone and I think I hit his visor or the side of his helmet or something, but on my right index finger, I have like a, um, like a horseshoe shaped scar right on my knuckle where the knuckle bends. And, um, it wouldn't, the flap was open and it wouldn't heal. So I couldn't get stitches. I couldn't like glue it. I couldn't really do anything, but keep like wrapping it and hoping the skin will just kind of meet and grow back and close up um but it kept getting infected it kept reopening and if i bend it it would crack open So like well what the what am i supposed to do so um yeah i guess the hands for me uh, whether it's like you can screw up a nail and it is a pain in the ass like just little shit like that that's nagging and i mean when you play and you fight it it goes away but it just the stuff that lingered a lot for me was the stuff with my hands
1: this may sound like a dumb question, but through the guess it ends up being one of the most entertaining questions. The worst locker room you've been in, Tony. and like, I'm going to keep this up, a- like the structure of it. Yes, yeah, yeah the quality yeah. the whole qual. and you could even go back to your junior days if you. Well, okay, time. I was thinking more pro, but if you want to go back to that, yeah,
2: could- uh, I'll do the worst. The worst locker room, junior wise, um, shit. I don't know if one sticks out. What about the pro um, days?
0: Anything stick out? I think Des Moines, Iowa was not that great. No,
2: the Buccaneers. No. I may be no, wrong. Which,
0: which one had the worst ice conditions? Um,
2: so Des Moines, Iowa for the Buccaneers was the worst locker room juniors. After that pro, I mean, there were always games where they filmed Slapshot right in Johnstown. Um, I mean, awesome place, but you know, locker rooms, not awesome. That ice wasn't awesome. So maybe that, um, but it's also kind of a piece of hockey history, so I can't really poo poo on it. Um, and then Rochester, which is funny because I live in Fairport, New York now outside of Rochester. So it's kind of come full circle, but I just remember their room being the smallest. Um, like you literally get dressed on like office chairs, There And maybe it's different now, but at the time, yeah, their locker room was a shoebox. And to be honest, I think it's updated now, but when I first walked into Wheeling's locker room, I'm like, what? Is this like a storage room? Like, what? You have a hot tub behind a wall. You have a set of dumbbells on the floor. You have um, like a, a TV hanging by a tiny little cable cord. Like it was, it was like a time machine. Um, I think they've updated it. And it, after a while, like you kind of get comfy and cozy with it and it actually yeah. grew liking it. But when he first walked in, like, this is pro hockey, um, like splinters of wood coming off from the stalls. It was just so super old and outdated as all, but um, yeah, Wheeling's locker room was like, Whoa,
1: is this the visitor's room? Or what is this <laughs> favorite line mate you played with? And I, and I know you, everybody says, Oh, I can't name one, but, one or two favorite line mate that you played with? Um, favorite.
0: Or do you have a Smash Brother on your line that you guys just were taking everybody out? Um, Look
1: at you doing a hockey lingo. Andrew. Yeah,
2: Andrew Lord was a good guy to play with. Uh, we went to battle a lot. We played together in Wheeling. Um, he was fun to play with. Um, I played quite a bit with um, Zach Sill yeah waltzberry i think it was me zaxel and jeff walker um but he was he was awesome um he was super intense super competitive um he was fun on and off the ice um yeah those guys were great just guys you'd go to
0: battle with that i you know could also share a couple beers with off the ice which player was the rat in your career? Oh, yeah. Is there anybody that would just cross check your face wash, you, but wouldn't fight you? Yeah. Anybody, just anybody
1: just get under your skin. He's
0: got yeah. a lot. Uh, yeah. A lot of them. Um, As a tough guy, I'm sure you're like, you're, you're susceptible to that all the time. Guys are always trying to
1: go at you, but not. Fight yeah. You. And if, and if, and if you kill them, then you're actually like the asshole because right. the guy's not a fighter. Right?
2: Oh, if they had it coming to him, like, I don't feel bad. Yeah. Why would you?
0: <laughs> Did you have any like marsh yeah. any, any rats that just got under your skin? Um, I think they didn't
2: necessarily get under my skin, but they were just so annoying to play against. I think there were brothers in Elmira, or no, um, I mean, there's a lot, but the one guy, it's not, I'm thinking of somebody else in Elmira. Um, I think his last name was Tifu Tifu. He was a skilled player, I think he was a french canadian player um he was in elmira for a while and he i mean we lost a lot of games to him like he was a power play guy super skilled but um obviously would never fight me or anything but i just remembered you know back and forth trip sessions with him and um but yeah he'd do little stuff after you know the whistle like just slash and you know all all the stuff that um would get under your skin and then you know he skates to the bench comes back and scores the game-winning goal
1: it's like yeah well are you doing any 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 coaching anything to do with hockey at the moment yeah what are, you, you, what are you you're, you're still a you're still a young guy and then got yeah. yeah 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 no I um
2: so I took a couple years off from I mean obviously stopped playing but I really didn't do anything at all um like people always ask like you know you still play I played maybe two I played like maybe one rat hockey game and I played one organized game for um I don't know it was like a charity event or something years ago but after that um nothing and then I coached the Chicago Mission uh U18 boys team two years in a row and then yeah, I think that was 18, 19 or 19 and 20 the seasons. I can't quite remember, but yeah, I coached, I loved it. It was really cool to be on the other side of it and coaching at that age group is really fun because you can literally, you know, guide and coach and mentor and do everything. And then you can see the player try to implement that literally the next shift or the next rep in practice. So um, I think if I were to keep coaching down the road, you know, I have a 16 month old son now. So if he gets into it, you know, that's no brainer, but yeah, I think it's really, it was really opening and cool to be on the other side of it and fun. And, you know, it's the closest I'm going to get to hockey. I don't think I'll be playing again, obviously. Right. So if I coach um, I'd be open to it and, um, but yeah, I haven't done it since my wife and I, we, we moved out by her folks here in upstate New York. So still kind of getting settled in and um, I don't uh, have any, plans to, to coach soon, but I'd definitely be open to it again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This is a follow-up question. So, you know, I'm one of the guys that played beer league hockey, you know, for a long time, which I still want to do, Andrew, but my, my wife doesn't want me to, because I'm old and I'll get hurt. So it must see like for a pro player, especially guy playing the AHL, <laughs> It's like playing on a rec league, even if it's your goal division, must be a letdown. It's like, what, what, what do pro players like yourself? You're a young guy. I'm sure you could still play like there's nobody's business, but it's like a letdown. You, uh, that's all you would have is, a, is the, the gold league in a, in a rec league. So is it coaching for what you see uh, former players? That's really their outlet if they want to skate and be active?
2: Yeah. Are you talking about like getting into something else? And
1: No, I just mean like, you know, it, it would just seem to me like you playing on a rec league. It would be yeah. very boring to you and like, oh, hey, I see what you're this, saying. This, yeah. This isn't worth it for me just to get my, you know, at the around. same
2: level of intensity. And that's right. so yeah.
1: maybe if I coach that way, I can I get ice time. I can do what I want. It just would seem like, you know, you yeah. playing my old rec league would not be fun for you. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would do it.
2: It's not that I think it would be like unfulfilling. Right. Um, to be completely honest, I just have no desire to get my bag, put on my equipment, skate at an odd hour of the day or night, and then right. have to bring that home. Like I've done that for 20 some years. Like I have no interest in doing that. And I don't know how many hours I've spent, you know, obviously on the ice. I just like, I'm good. Like I have no desire. I don't, I don't have a, a burning desire in my stomach that I need to be on the ice, whether it's just by myself farting around, like shooting at the net and probably still missing it or playing in a rat hockey game. Like uh, I don't have like an unfulfilled desire there, but I can only speak to me. Like I, you know, I have other teammates and friends that have stopped playing and they probably have, different answer but yeah for me like i didn't like i was good when i was done i knew like i'm done i did pretty much almost everything i wanted to do and i had um i had my real estate license at the time that i got and i already had lined up something i wanted to immerse myself in which i did and the coaching came around with um um eventually came around with just the network of hockey people in Chicago. So, yeah, but um, if I did play, I mean, I'd have fun. Like, you know, I'm not going to try and go out there and cut someone at the knees or –
0: um so, so so when your kid turns six you won't be like uh no. you watch the Danbury trashers thing starts oh yeah smoking six-year-old kids yeah body <laughs> check them so i mean maybe i, I don't, don't know maybe i'm wrong
2: like yeah i mean i still have some screws loose so yeah i i could be wrong i would say that now but if someone bumps me the wrong way yeah i may i may see red and
1: so where so where 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 is your your life leading you now you know, we, we and, and this is great because of our, our older guests that we have on. Uh, a lot of them have gone on, and and they're kind of like, man, my hockey career, even NHL is like, man, it was so long ago. Now I've made money in either the financial industry or real estate or something else. So, what are you into at the moment? What's uh, what's Baby. in store for Ryan Schnell?
2: kid Yeah, I mean, I got the little guy at home, which is awesome, but. Um... Yeah, I got, I'm uh, coming up on six years now in a sales role. I'm account manager for a IT recruiting company that um, we actually got acquired earlier this year. So this year has been a little bit crazy with um, just the transition, but it's all been good. But yeah, I've been, so I did about a year and a half and change with the real estate after my time with Rockford and um, it was fine, but I think I needed a little bit something else. Um long-term. And I didn't know what that was. So I just kind of fell backward, backwards into the staffing world at the time. You know, I, I didn't know much about it, if anything. And, um, you know, as far as it was concerned, I knew nothing more than how to use an iPhone and iPad. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about, you know, how to, how to get, find a good software engineer or a cybersecurity analyst. So, um, yeah, I've been with the same company for six years and it's been really well. I've, um, I've, I've done well and it's been rewarding, but yeah, it, you know, it's just another thing to do. That's super competitive. Um, What I do every day is helping clients when they're in hiring mode to work with an agency like us to help bring them people to to staff and hire for projects, whether it's on a contract basis or a full-time employee that they want to bring on board. Um, I kind of bridge that gap for them and I have a team of recruiters that will, you know, take the information I have from my contacts and clients and say, you know, Hey, Steve's looking for, you know, a software engineer and here's, you know, A through Z what he needs and why, and they'll go to work and I'll present, you know, the candidate. So we're basically uh, an extension of a HR talent acquisition team for companies, but we specialize with it and different niches within it. So yeah, that's what I've been doing and yeah with the little guy running around it it's been it's been awesome and hopefully he uh he's already got a, a hockey net and the, the shiny hockey net and stick and ball yeah. already I mean, in down there. in the basement
0: so we'll be transitioning to ice hopefully uh in a year and a half or so and real quick just something funny to bring up as any of your clients co-workers ask you hey what did you do beforehand You're like yeah i was you know i was a pro hockey player no big deal they looked up Your fight card or anything and came back the next day, like, dude, you didn't tell me you did this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It looks a little differently now. Like, I ain't gonna mess with Ryan at the at the office. Yeah, I mean that happens more
2: like internally. So um, I mean, some clients know and they they ask or they catch wind of it, or um I, I will talk about it. I mean, I I try not to go into um you know, the rabbit hole about my career talking with them. I try to make it more about them than me, but yeah, yeah, internally, like, you know actually this week I met with a couple guys in a different office and um, I only talked to him very briefly, but we had a meeting and then like, they started like sharing my hockey DB with, um, with everyone and started asking me questions and yeah, I've sometimes come into the office before COVID cause I'm remote now. Right. So yeah, yeah like some guys or people would be watching like a hockey fight video and ask me about, so um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's fun. And you yeah. know, they ask like, like how did that happen? And like, doesn't your oh. hand, lead you know, like all the kind of the cliche questions? But um, yeah, because they're probably not hockey fans. They're like, why did well, you fight? And, and
1: I'm sure you get it, like, <laughs> yeah, or they're
2: like, what, what are you doing in IT staffing? What yeah, fuck yeah.
1: Fuck? if if you're six three and you know you're over two hundred pounds? I'm I'm sure. I mean, we can't see you just because you know we're on Zoom here, but I'm sure looking at you, you get the whole thing. Like, are you an athlete or were you an athlete? I mean, you, I'm sure you're one of those guys that someone's looking at you. You, they're just like, this guy was an athlete. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I yeah. Mean, mean, I mean, guys that are five, eight and five, seven, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we look at that, we go, that guy's definitely an athlete. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can't, you know, I, uh, my workout routine has definitely changed my, uh, you know, my, my diet's still okay, but it's not, you know, how it was in the off season when I was yeah, still playing. Dad but...
0: doesn't help, I'm sure. With that. I'm sure, ahead? <laughs> Sure, being a father right now to a, a new kid doesn't help either, right? No,
2: I mean my body's morphed—you know—from uh, uh, you know, somewhat athletic, chiseled in shape to a bag of milk. So, <laughs> hey, um, <right> there.
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> it's not. Uh, no, I mean no one's coming up to me thinking that you know I just stepped off the the ice rink. But no, I, I still you know I kind of built out a little bit of a home gym here um, in my house and have some stuff to to work out three four times a week and. Peloton and all that good stuff. So, but um, yeah, I need it. I think I am trying to actually find um, later this year, if there's um, a boxing, I did boxing quite a bit with my off season training. So, um, and even if I, you know, wasn't dropping the gloves a lot, I would still enjoy doing that as a training part. Cause it's, it's an awesome workout and um, I'd like to pick that back up, but yeah, I still try to, you know, maintain, health you know that's a big that's a big part of of life with everything that's gone on lately that's open everybody's eyes but um yeah definitely not the same body my my legs have shrunk my arms i mean they're always small they're even smaller now and yeah the uh the the dad bod is trying to make it's it's established (laughs) Um, uh it's trying to establish itself i'm trying to keep it away Here you go
1: Ryan, we wish you all good things. We'll say goodbye off here, but officially uh, this has been great. Hopefully it's been fun for you and man, we can't thank you enough. These have been uh, great stories yeah. and getting to know you and your career. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Again. No, thank you guys both. And, um, it was a great time. Hope to be back soon.
1: Okay. Okay. So since, uh, you know, we do talk to our guests off air, we, we do, we should probably, uh, Segue into the end of our guest into this portion. I know it's very abrupt sometimes, but uh, yeah, we we talked to him another 30 minutes and boy, the stories we got it, we're gonna have to have him back on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like I said, it it goes to show once again one of these guests that we don't always just try and get on NHL players, you know, we we always got the field flurries on the Brian props, but this guy had a lot of stories and knows a lot of people. That's the thing that we always keep talking about. This hockey community is very small. They're all friends. Well, and they all play, they've
1: all played with each other throughout right. their career, wherever their careers all started. Led junior, them. Yeah. During the journey, they all. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Check out his fight videos for sure, because yeah, he's, he's, tough, uh, man. he's a tough guy. Yeah, he can take a punch. Yeah. And tough. you guys can't see the, uh, the uh, video zoom thing that we do here, but uh, he, he, I mean, he's like, you can be shape. playing right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we want to give a special shout to him uh today for say thank you because uh, he was a great guest, wonderful guy. Stayed over time, so we appreciate him working with us on that as well. Absolutely. So, Andrew, we're uh we'll call it a day here. We're okay. gonna release this today, and uh we want to wish everybody uh well and thank you again. And our uh we're reaching milestones with the podcast as yes. the podcast has become more um, more well-known, should I say, uh, we're beating our monthly and exceeding our monthly goals and Mm -hmm. our listenership. So we want to thank and welcome, uh, any new listeners and please go back all the way to, uh, I think we started like episode 17 with our guests. There's so many that, uh, you can go back and listen to as well. Uh, And it's just been a great time for us, episode 72. And don't forget, we
0: also want to say thank you again to Mark Ulrich Jr. over at Black and Gold Hockey Productions. We appreciate him and his podcast channel always giving us a home for us and our guests to talk hockey. Please don't forget to go on that website, blackandgoldhockey.com, and check out all the other podcasts on that channel. They support us, we support them. And uh, with that, Dad, we want to wish everybody a wonderful weekend and Friday. Take care, everyone.